Welcome to The Edges of Lean. I'm Bella Engelbach, and in this podcast, we explore the human and creative side of lean thinking, unusual places where lean thinking is practiced. We meet people who are practicing continuous improvement in many different flavors and styles. So come along with me on a journey to the edges of lean. Episode 67, Continuous Improvement and Test Balancing with Kevin Gazzara. One of the secrets of getting to flow in a work process is to level the load. Not overburdening the process and managing the natural volatility of inputs has a remarkable effect on productivity. My guest Kevin Gazzara has insights about how to do this in our brains. Check out our fascinating conversation. Dr. Kevin Gazzara, welcome to the Edges of Lean. Hi, good to be here, Bella. Thanks for the invitation. Well, thanks for coming. So, uh, Kevin, tell us about yourself. And uh, you've had, a, uh, I think, a pretty long and varied career. So give us the highlights and, and tell us what you're doing now. Uh, well, let's uh, start from what I'm doing now. Currently, I am a senior partner at Magna Leadership Solutions. It's a firm that we started about 15 years ago when I retired uh, from Intel in 2007. And we provide uh, management and leadership uh, programs. We have something called the Leading Forward Academy that we do for lots and lots of companies around the world. We have programs right now running in, uh, let's see, Shanghai, Tokyo, Amsterdam, through about a half a dozen cities through the US. Uh, we do them virtually and in person. Uh, and in addition to that, I am uh, uh, an ICF executive coach and a positive intelligence coach. So that's kind of what I'm doing at the moment and kind of what's led me here, which has been uh, not quite the, the linear progression, is uh, started out uh, in my undergraduate degrees are dual degree in engineering and business from Drexel. Then I did my MBA and went off and did my all my doctoral work in organizational leadership. And I, I've moved from the technical side uh, where I work for Transamerica Corporation. Uh, and then my last 18 years before I retired from Intel uh, in product management, I was an uh, operations manager, general manager. Um, but, I, but my last 10 years, I spent managing Intel University and the management leadership development residential programs uh, around the world for for Intel, and when we used to do 2,500 managers and leaders in 10 different countries each year, uh, and when I had when I retired in 07 uh, with two of my colleagues to start up management um, Magna Leadership, we had just finished training our 40,000th manager. That is a lot of training, Kevin. Wow, <laughs> wow. So. I, I think I always think it's fascinating when I meet people like you who have the technical background, the engineering degree, the business background, but you know who have really gotten into the organizational side, which I think leads you to the you know obviously to the people side, to to some some stuff that leads more into psychology and sociology, and I was wondering what it was that led you sort of out of being an engineer and into that into that pathway right uh, as many of my technical buddies would say I've moved over to the dark side from the technical side to the HR world uh well it's like I'm glad I'm glad you asked that because it's a really interesting story 
Um, I had put together this 15 year plan. So when I was 35, I had this desire or this uh, vision to retire at 50. And my goal was uh, at 50, I wanted to do my next phase of life uh, and give back, right? To be able to take the knowledge that I've gained uh, and actually help organizations uh, that didn't have $10 million budgets for, for management leadership and help them them get better. And uh, that was kind of my vision. And I think one of the things that I did, which was really important, I've always had fantastic mentors throughout the um, throughout my career, my life. Uh, and you know, when I was at Intel, I uh, solicited uh, a mentor. Uh, uh, essentially, she was my, my coach and my mentor. Um, and she was uh, the uh, HR director for HR. She sat on Andy Grove's staff, uh, and um, and sh uh, her name is Cecilia. Uh, wonderful, wonderful mentor. She was, she mentored me for many, many years. Um, and I approached her because I had started um, I had started doing uh, as a manager at Intel. You had to teach forty hours a a year, right? So that you had to teach. So I started getting into the teaching which I recognized, hey, I'm, I'm actually pretty good at this and, and I really enjoy it and it really energizes me. Uh, and as I was getting mentored on a monthly basis, meeting with Cecilia, we we laid out a long-term plan and, and the, the initial plan was the normal plan I think that everybody has, which is, you know, you, you start out as a, uh, an engineer or as an individual contributor and you move into a supervisor and a manager and then a more senior manager and then ultimately group manager. And, and it's a really nice long progression uh, along the lines of your your um, competence. Uh, have you, have you, had you had technical expertise, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right, so, uh, so building deeper and deeper technical knowledge. Right, yeah. So, you know, so the goal is, is, you know, ultimately you want to get to CEO and you want to have a big staff and make lots of money and have have uh, lots of people report to you and have that that power. And, that, and that's, I think, what we've been taught uh, and kind of what all of the models look like uh, in industry. And what I recognized was, or and what Cecilia helped me recognize was that she talked to me much more about the things that really energized me and engaged me and so forth. And because I had started teaching, I recognized that that was an area that that really um, uh, I, I was I was running towards it, right? Like I couldn't I couldn't get enough of it, right? And that's kind of getting in this this flow zone of of where you are. So um, so I had the opportunity. Intel has something called sabbatical. So every seven years, they give you a sabbatical where you take two months off and you disconnect. You leave all your electronics back in the office. And uh, you go, uh, you go and, and recharge. And typically, when you go on a sabbatical, it's, there's usually an opportunity when you come back to do something a little differently because essentially you haven't been doing your job for two months. Someone else is filling in. Um, and when I came back, uh, because I had been working with Cecilia for a couple of years, um, one of the the guy that actually ran Intel University for all of Intel uh, said, "Hey, you know, uh, I've seen you teach. I know that you're passionate about this." Would you consider moving out of the technical side to to do this? We really need someone that can manage manage a team and all of the the training and development for Arizona. Um, and just to give you an idea, people think, oh well, how hard can that be? Is uh, Arizona? We were doing we were doing about eight hundred to nine hundred uh, classes a month, <laughs> uh, which wow. is unbelievable 
uh, to manage. And the people that they had in there, I was actually the third manager in 18 months. The first two resigned. Uh, and, and the third one, I think, had a nervous breakdown. So uh, so when I got into the job, which is what I love, you know, it's uh, the engineer side of me is problem solving. You know, most of the people that were in this in this world didn't have a technical background. But since I, you know, managed design teams and software teams and so forth, uh, I really had an appreciation for what they were going through. So so that's how that transition happened. Um, and I've stayed in that that world ever since. So you were able to bring those technical skills, at least the problem solving skills into that really big essentially a problem that you were handed of, of how to manage all of these classes, right? And then, and and so that's, I mean, so it's a really great segue, but I love what you said, Kevin, about, about this idea that we're all supposed to be on the path to be CEO. And the problem is, as I learned early in my career, is we can't all be CEO unless, you know, we become all become independent entrepreneurs, right? Right. I mean, there's not really, there's not that many CEO roles to be had, but there are so many other things that may float our boat even better. And it sounds like you, you found that and you found that, um, you found that direction. So um, I think that's, that is a great, a great story. Did it feel like a really big leap though? I mean, getting off that engineering path and, and going over to the dark side? It, it, yeah, um, it, yes, actually it, it did. It was, you know, it was a, it was a chance you, you have to, um, you know, if you ch study anything with regard to change management, you know, this is, a, this is a radical shift, you know, from dealing with bits and bytes and cash sizes on, on chips and, and so forth. I think the, the thing that I had the advantage of is, is I spent, spent a lot of time in uh, product marketing as well. So I spent a lot of time on the customer side. So, um, so I have, a, a, you know, I, I like the engineering stuff. Uh, I like the human stuff uh, as, as well. And being able to have that interface on a regular basis, uh, you know, and moving into a, a non-technical role, still managing people um, felt, uh, the transition felt okay. Uh, it, it was a completely different world, uh, and I'm a you know continuous learner, so I love I love the, the additional learning. So, and it was a new level of challenge. And I think anybody that's listening to the podcast would recognize that you know in, in engineering challenges, you know it's more black and white, it's zeros and ones, uh, it's uh, and so forth. In when you move into the human realm, uh, things are a lot more gray, and things are generally not black and white. So. So I think it adds that next level of challenge if you're willing to take it. So yes, so the answer is it was absolutely a, a, a big shift, um, probably one of the best things I had ever done, um, and it's always a, always a little scary. Yeah, to make that leap, and I'm just I'm just pondering actually, Kevin, my own language and and, and your language around talking about engineering is technical and and this you know engineering is you know black and white you can reduce things to you know data numbers you can you can make the the chart the graph you can you could track your you know the your the knowledge that you gain as you do the work in a way that is very factual right because you're yes. dealing even if you're dealing at intel with tiny tiny objects you're still dealing with physical objects but it occurs to me that there's a technical side to 
being a leader and a technical side to training as well. And we might not think of that as being technical, but but there is, right? And there are things that we can develop skills around and build knowledge around. It just might be harder to make a, a chart or a graph, a spreadsheet, a database out of it. Well, I think the, the big difference, and we get into lots of these discussions with our clients, Bella, is that um, that th things in the, the human side are more subjective than objective, right? So people see things differently. And when you have subjective elements, uh, they're a little bit more difficult to manage, particularly if you don't have a good metric system uh, around that. I mean, one of the things that I learned, I, I was very fortunate at Intel, there were four of us that were chosen to go get certified um, with Peter Senge uh, on the fifth discipline and, and systems thinking. And I taught systems thinking from all my years at Intel from 96 through when I retired and in 2017, and then I've been teaching systems thinking as well, not only in my um, uh, in in the business, but I'm also been a professor at six different universities, so taught systems thinking there. And I think it's it's bringing that that systems thinking mentality of looking at everything, whether it's a human system or it's a process uh -huh. system, uh, and looking at it in very much of the same way. So I think the technical side provided a really good base in order to transition that into to the human side. So when we're, when we're talking about a system, right, that has people in it, as you said, we have this difficulty um, of knowing that, hopefully knowing or having the presence of mind to know that other people have different perspectives or perceive things differently from us. But I think it's very challenging to manage that. And um, I'd love to hear what are some of your your ideas, your your principles around, you know, dealing with the fact that other people are going to see things differently and perceive things differently from the way we ourselves do. Yeah, and I think you've really hit on the nail on the head is that that people do have different perceptions, they have different behavioral styles. Uh, they have uh, different value sets or uh, things that are important to them as, as far as what's, um, you know, what motivates them or demotivates them and really understanding that, you know, one of the things that that we use in our in our leadership program, Bella, is is a model that was originally done or looked at uh, around you know, from Harvard Business Review, which was the three commandments of, of leadership, which they talk about. First thing is, is the best leaders kind of know thyself, right? So it's really understanding yourself. The second is uh, understanding others. And then the third commandment is uh, initiating and sustaining change, right? So you can't really be a leader if you just do one or two. Uh, you have to do you have to do the the third one as as well. And what we found was that that our leadership programs and what I learned through, through lots of the stuff that I had done, either teaching or developing programs at Intel, was that you really have the best programs and the best leaders start with an internal look rather than an ex external look. And and there's lots of different things. There's lots of assessments out there that you can that you can look at. I could talk a little bit about the ones that we use. So you you know, uh, focusing in on yourself uh, gives you the abilities to understand others and then initiate and sustain change. And the challenge is 
that most leaders, particularly in the in the Western cultures, most leaders love people love to live live in kind of the act phase of the doing of the change and so forth, and they start there and they really haven't invested the time. Uh, in the first two, in particular, the first one about knowing yourself. So one of the things that we do, we use a whole suite of assessments. We work, uh, we've worked very closely for the last 20 plus years with a company called Target Training International. Um, wonderful, wonderful people, wonderful company, uh, great assessments. Uh, they have they got dozens of different assessments. The ones that we use uh, extensively are um, uh, around desk or behaviors, kind of understanding uh, your your styles and how you perceive things differently. That's a good foundational one. And then we move into driving forces or which is kind of our values base of, of the things kind of under the iceberg of what you can't see. So really getting a deeper understanding of what drives us and others. Um, and then we use a, a third assessment, which is called the task quotient uh, or TQ. And that is around uh, understanding the balance of task types that you like around uh, percentages of routine troubleshooting uh, and problems and and, um, and problems or sorry routine troubleshooting and project tasks. So if you look at everybody's um, different mixtures, there's 496 discrete mixtures. If you look at what we like to do, each one of us likes to do a certain percentage of routine work, certain percentage of problem solving or troubleshooting work. And a certain percentage of of project work, and when you when you identify the ideal mixture, and you can uh, balance your uh, balance your um, day, your week, your year, month, whatever um, around that, uh, we've proven statistically that you can raise your level of job satisfaction, motivation, uh, and empowerment of of people. So so we we use those. Uh, as as really the found foundation to kind of understand uh, yourself, know thyself, and then we apply that to understanding others. And then once you have that foundation, you can uh, you can uh, really uh, initiate and sustain change in in a very sustainable way, in, instead of the kind of the hit and run. So one of the things that's interesting to me about about these type of assessments, Kevin, is that if we don't understand them well, we can use them in a bad way, right? We can sort of peg ourselves as, well, I always do this, or I can't do that, or I'm, you know, I'm not the kind of person who can do this. Um, or we can say that about other people. So what do you do to overcome that, you know, to, to help people get that, that deeper knowledge and, um, and be more flexible? with their approach. Uh, excellent point, Bell. The uh, One of the things that we won't do is uh, we won't give someone an assessment without the opportunity, either in a class environment or in a one-on-one -on -one environment, to really walk them through and get them to understand what it is, because they can be drastically misused, right? That they can, mm -hmm. they can, they can um, kind of pigeonhole themselves into a, into a certain area. And that is really not the intention one of the things that we we say is is that you know everyone has all of the uh, let's use disk for example that everyone has the DIS and C has a certain percentage of that in them right it's 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 getting people to move from judging people to va valuing them and the thing is 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 this should not be used as a hammer 
you should not be able to say, well, hey, I'm a high D, just live with it. Uh, or, you know, I'm a high C, this is important to me, so not important to you. It's, it's getting that recognition. The, the thing is, is that we can all adapt. Uh, and the key is, is the more I can appreciate your style. And the thing that we do know is having teams that have that really nice balance of all of the different styles are the high performing teams. When you have teams where you hire people that are exactly like you, uh, generally that causes more more problems than than it solves. Yeah, that's the danger of hiring for quote unquote cultural fit, right? Because that that can take you down the path of of hiring your clone, and that is not necessarily. In fact, it isn't what's going to help you have a high performing team. Um, but it it's um, it is very important to have people with, with different styles and different ways of perceiving the world and different ways of, of reacting to the world, right? That's going to drive innovation. It's going to, it's going to drive um, faster forward movement. Yeah. And I think here's the gap in, in, the, in, the, in industry or in the world today is, is that we don't take the time. I mean, if we, we did some research many years ago um, looking at hundreds of people about what the most important thing was to to be a the leader, and and my uh, business partner, Dr. Ali Lakani, um, who was my co-author of the book that we wrote on leadership called the the Leader of Oz, um, he he did all of his doctoral work around doing statistical correlations with different um, uh, leadership competencies uh, and how they relate how they related uh, to. Uh, the the uh, how the leader was was viewed, uh, and what he what he found was is he looked at seventy different countries. Um, I think the total was over a thousand a thousand leaders around the world. And what he found statistically, and he's a black belt six sigma lean guy. He he taught all of our our classes in that. Uh, what he found was something that was really interesting that the number one uh, leadership practice or competency around the world, uh, usually in the very first position of the 10 that he had identified, was communication. Uh, and one of the challenges is once you know thyself using either the, whatever assessments that you're going to use, is that I don't think we take the time uh, to help people uh, work on their communication. So what happens is, that you get this uh, very, very aggressive communication rather than assertive, where people are are kind of using their their behavioral styles uh, as a hammer, right? And and I think you need to have that second piece coupled with the understanding of the assessment first, uh, so that you when when you have that really dominant individual, where you have that very uh, cautious individual. Uh, so forth, that you give them the tools to communicate in a way that the other styles can hear them. And I think that's the place that we found that organizations do a terrible job. And that's one of the reasons that, you know, that's the foundational piece in our in our leadership program. And it's probably uh, made worse by the tendency of organizations to want to put spin on communication as well, right? So even, even if a leader does have a, a clear and direct message and is, and is hoping to be able to, to, to get that message across, whether it's in a written communication or verbal communication, there's often a, a sort of a PR piece that goes on top of that that, that can be um, 
unfortunate. Yeah, and I, I think there's another thing is is that you know we have a tendency to kind of measure leaders on output, right? And and mm. one of the things I learned from uh, from Senge uh, in the fifth discipline, in particular, in the systems thinking, is is that we it, usually when there is a there is a problem, uh, Senge talks about systems influencing uh, performance or behaviors. Mm -hmm. Right. And when you when you have a bad system in place that you're going to get bad behaviors, you're going to get bad performance. And one of the things that I think corporations are starting to recognize or have started to recognize very slowly, I think it's coming out is, is that you need sometimes you need multiple metric systems. You need the performance metric system. I mean, people have to do you know what what they're supposed to do, you know, getting the designs out, getting the manufacturing out. You know, you have to hold people accountable. I listen to your. Uh, session, I think it was 59 with Anne Marie Snow, or Marie. Uh, Mary Ann Snow. Mary Ann Snow, yes. Uh, yeah. and, and she talked and she talked about that. So people that haven't listened to it, listen to it. That's a great interview that you had done. And she talks about change management, a lot of the stuff that would kind of dovetail into this, into this session. And I and I think uh, when you have a system that only measures output performance and it doesn't measure what we call, we have two measurement systems. We have um, uh, uh, organizational performance and business results. We Most companies or all companies measure business results. How much margin are you making? How many product are we getting out? What Those type of things. The, the best companies, the high performing companies measure what we call org performance. And that's that putting a measurement system in place of, of attracting and retaining uh, and getting the best engagement uh, motivation uh, out of out of an individual, so so you don't have to spend the time of kind of replacing and you know doing the turnover, dealing with with turnover. Uh, best organizations have a relatively low turn turnover, and the one thing we found is is you look at a high performing organization, I will guarantee you close to 100 percent, if not 100 percent, that they're only measuring the the business performance. Or, uh, the business results and not the organizational performance. And once you put those two elements, uh, those two measurements in place, having the ability to balance those so you're not getting, you know, the one manager that's the touchy-feely manager, it's all about people and so forth, and people love to work there and they don't get any output, or it's the other manager, which is the more common one, where they're getting the output, yet the it's a revolving door because they're losing so many mm -hmm. people. Um, when you when you when you can get that right balance, uh, then you then you have a, an amazing opportunity for longevity, and and it's it's really moving beyond, you know, kind of the Wall Street model, which I think is is the is the curse uh, in the current uh, well in in any kind of uh, capitalistic environment is the the ninety day window, right? What did you do for the last ninety days? And, and you have to be able to think much, much longer term. Um, and if you can do that, you can be successful. Yeah, so I, I mean, that's really interesting. I mean, that, I was I was gonna say the reason, obviously, as we know that, that the companies have these output metrics, these performance metrics is is 100% because um, that's what their investors are looking for, right? The investors ostensibly, want to see that and i don't know too many you know companies that go into investor meetings and and talk about um employee engagement but they probably should right and i yeah. and i often i often wonder why organizations don't 
show the cost of that turnover and how the cost of turnover or the cost of lack of engagement is actually impacting their top line and their bottom line because they do. Um, you know, and there's plenty of research that shows that. Yeah, and, and actually, uh, that's a really good point. We've re we recognized that early on and uh, several years ago. In fact, we just re-released re it. Um, is anyone that's listening, you can go to attritioncalculator.com, right? It's it's a free tool that we have uh, that we use to have a discussion when people come to us and they say, um, uh, you know, we, we need a leadership program. How much is it going to cost? And we we tell them, well, we're, we're not going to tell you what it costs. We're going to tell you how much it's going to save you. And we want to know what's your attrition um, costing you. Uh, and I'd say, well, I'd say at least all the customers I've ever talked, we've ever talked to have no idea. It's like, I, I don't know, or we don't know. So we pull up the, the tool. Uh, I think it has about 20 different variables that are kind of built into it. Um, and uh, actually, we put in three numbers, like how, what's your, um, how many people do you have, either the partner or the company or whatever, what's your, uh, what's your um, turnover rate? And then what's the typical salary for the individuals? And you put it in there and instantaneously it gives you like within seconds or less, uh, it gives you the what it's costing you for for the turnover. We just did this with a, a larger company in, in the Southwest. And we were talking with this, the HR director and the CEO um, where they had thousands of people. And we asked them this question and they didn't know. So we went through there. And they were losing about uh, about seven million dollars a year. Real, this is real money. This has nothing to do with mm -hmm. intellectual property or anything like that. That was on on top of that. Um, this was a call center environment, um, and we we said which typically have have do have time high turnover. Right. Yep. Uh, so so we looked at what they were losing, and we we said okay, so uh, we can't get you. I think it was about 32% turnover. So we can't get you all 32% of that. Um, we can certainly cut it in half uh, or at least get you 10% back, right? So um, so we'd say we can, maybe we can't save you 7 million. We can at least save you 700,000. Uh, what would you invest to get $700,000 back? Um, and we asked them, would you, if you got a 10 to one return on your investment, would you make that investment? And they said, well, well of course, we said okay. It's seventy thousand dollars. That's that's a that's a great way to do pricing. Yeah. Yeah. So so we only do value pricing rather than you know cost per session and so forth. And uh -huh. and then we worked with them to make sure that we were able to get the turnover down. And the, and the good news was we were able to get the turnover down way beyond what we had ex, what we had expected. Um, but I think the one thing that we learned was it it. Um, it raises another problem is, is once you figure out how to hire uh, the pick type of people that you want and do the training for them, if you throw them into a system where you have bad management and bad leadership, um, getting that extra uh, reduction of turnover uh, uh -huh. becomes impossible. So, so ultimately what we said was, hey, now we've done kind of what we call the benchmarking process. Uh, so that you're hiring the right kind of people. They were hiring all the wrong kind of people, um, you know, using all the different assessments. They're hiring people that needed to go into an environment where they had 
a high routine and they were high, and because they weren't we, we they weren't using the test quotient assessment they weren't use they weren't assessing that and they were putting people that had like a seven percent routine desire in a position where the eighty percent so, of eighty percent of the time they're doing routine so so once we so they didn't want to follow that, they didn't want to follow the script it wasn't it wasn't going to float their boat to follow right. the script yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so anyway so it's right. uh, uh as you know <laughs> so, it's very complex that's really important though kevin what you just said so get the right people in there get the people who who actually relish a high routine environment and then you put them in a situation with a bad manager they are still not going to stay right they might stay a little bit longer because the because the 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 work is is satisfying to them but they're not going to stay if they if they're treated badly by their manager and you know that's another thing you know that everybody knows that people leave because of management so so then what is it that the managers then have to because i'm sure some of the people who are in management in an organization like that are the people who want to get past the the doing the routine work and want to do things differently want to be more involved in problem solving and now yeah. they've got to relate to these people who are probably quite different from them. Well, um, so uh, so Dr. Lacani and I um, had written an article. I'm sure you can find it on the web anywhere. You can get it at our website at, you know, uh, under our, I think it's blog or articles uh, at mag, magnaleadership.com. Uh, I think if you just do a Google search, you'll be able to, to get it. We wrote a book, um, sorry, we wrote an article uh, called throw the seats off the bus, you know, so it was based around the work that Jim Collins had done in good to great about get the right people in the right seats on the bus and our philosophy is, is a little bit different and to answer your question is, is that, that what we found was that you, that you need to bring, you need to bring certainly people that have the talent and the skills and desires right. Uh, you need to place them in an environment. Typically, we put we bring these you know three hundred pound people and stick them in one hundred pound desks, right? Right. We, wow. and we do everything possible to kind of fit fit them in. And what we said is throw the seats off the bus and throw the beanbag chairs in, in there, and allow the people to uh, to you don't necessarily have to change their job. You want to adjust the tasks that they're doing that fit the kind of things that they need. And when we've gone in and we've analyzed. Um, organizations, uh, almost 100% of the time, uh, in fact, I think it's probably 100% of the time, uh, the people in the organization have the, have the right people. The, the, different, the difference is, is because the jobs are uh, much more um, siloed, right, uh, and there's not a lot of opportunity to, to kind of uh, work on different tasks. I'm not going to do your job. There might be a task that you like to do that I don't and vice versa. That, uh, that if you allow that flexibility kind of in the beanbag chair rather than kind of squishing you into the into the desk, um, uh, then you can get a lot better a lot better results. So it's allowing that um, it's not a restructuring, it's a reformatting of the, of how you do do task and who does the task and and who can help each other and you allow people to to gravitate towards what they love. Uh, then you're going to get the retention. You're also going to get better performance, engagement, motivation. You get lots and lots of stuff that happen happens there. So it's it's that that's, ability. And that that's really cool because I think what you what you're doing there, you're actually that's the definition of inclu inclusion. Inclusion 
isn't you know fitting the person into the role or the job inclusion is allowing change so that that person's unique attributes can be manifested the best in the way that is the most comfortable for them so for people who are doing diversity equity and inclusion that's what inclusion is inclusion is is you know you know let's figure out together how how does what you bring to the organization how do how do we use that in the work that we're doing but the other thing i love about what you said is that also could really lead to a self-managed team right because if people are working together and you don't have this sense all right this is my job and i'm only allowed to do my job but i can see what your work is and i can see that you need some help over here and hey i like to do that kind of thing or i can learn to do that kind of thing that also helps people feel less alone in their work right and and be a work can get done faster because we're not waiting for the right person you know the appropriate person to do the job we're waiting for you know we can we can hand it off and share it better um and i've you know certainly seen that in a you know in a really good lean environment where people they can see the work you know the work is made visual for them and then people can say hey i can help you with that you know i'd like to learn that or you know that's something that i think would be fun to do can you show me how to do that yeah, so. and and I love I love to share with you a three minute just a three minute anecdotal story here. Yeah, is um so the the task quotient is actually an assessment that I had developed and I developed it for my doctoral dissertation, because uh, I my doctorate my doctoral work was around kind of understanding the the um, the relationship of task types uh, balance for motivation, um, job satisfaction, and flow. Right, getting people into this concept of flow or being in the zone. So I had to develop, there wasn't an assessment. So as part of my research, I had to develop an assessment tool. Uh, and I developed the task quotient that Target Training International distributes, which is I'm, I'm grateful for. Um, when we were first doing it, um, one of the distributors I work with uh, wanted to use this at a kitchen staff in Maine at a nursing home. And he, he said, I want to evaluate the, the a team there. Can I use this? And it's like, yeah, sure, absolutely. So he ran the, the assessments. Now, there are probably a dozen people in on the team. Uh, I, I think probably half of them had a high school education. No one had a, high, uh, a college education. Uh, and they were doing kitchen staff stuff in a very large kind of uh, retirement or nursing home. Um, and when they he got everything back, uh, because the, the task quotient identifies uh, or predicts the level of job satisfaction for the individuals, almost all of them came back at a very, very high job satisfaction, close to like 95 to 100%. Wow. Um, and and he, I remember him calling me and saying, hey, you know what, I, I think there's a, I don't, I don't think your assessment's working, right? Because I just did this and we have all the people basically said they're happy uh, and they're engaged in their job. And 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 he said, "How can this be? They're like in, a, in washing dishes in a kitchen or serving food. Like this can't be." So I said, "Well, have you had a discussion with them?" And and he said, "No." I said, "Go have a discussion with them." And what he found was kind of what I was just talking about was we. He said, "Hey, I've 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 looked at your assessment. Here's your assessment. You here you can read the assessment. Uh, is this correct?" And they all said the same thing. Yeah, this is correct. And they said, I want to know why your job satisfaction is so high. 
And, he, and, he, and he's, he, he says, you're a dishwasher. Like, how can you do that? He says, like, yeah, well, that's kind of what I was hired for. And most of them have been there like 10, 12, 15 years. Uh, and he, he said, yeah, uh, but our manager that uh, doesn't think of me as, as a dishwasher, I am particularly good at, and one was good at like fixing things like electrical things. And another person was really good at the people side and doing the greeting and, and helping people out. And, and, and he said, we work together as a team. And yes, do we have it? Do I have a deliverable? I have to get the dishes done. Of course I do. Right. So I have, I have to do that. Uh, a lot of times people who are out front, you know, dealing with the, the people that are, that are sick need a break. So they come in and they cover for me doing the dishes. They get a little bit of a break there. And that's kind of what I recognized was all of these things have are different task types that they're doing and allowing that flexibility, that beanbag chair kind of environment, where even though you may have a title um, and, and giving the people that opportunity to do what's necessary for the team at the time uh, where you're not saying, well, that's not my job, um, really does um, contribute. And, you know, one of the things the manager said is, you know, I, I spent all, all of my time doing other strategic things Right. My team kind of self-manages themselves. And by the way, I have to spend hardly any time at all, you know, year after year doing anything of the hiring and firing because uh, I've got good people that do good work. Wow. That is that is a great story. And, and I, I just love that, the, the, the bean the beanbag chair environment, you know. Just pull up, pull up your beanbag chair where, where you needed, where where you're comfortable, where you want to learn something. And yeah. yeah, go fix something if you if you need to fix it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, uh, no, go ahead. Uh, no, go ahead. You got a question? Yeah, I do. So the task quotient. So what you're saying is, as as everybody has a task quotient at a particular wherever you are in your stage in life, there are there are certain types of tasks um, that you're going to enjoy more you're going to relish more and the more that your work your work day reflects that preferred task task quotient quotient at the end of the day the more satisfied you're going to be the more engaged you're going to be absolutely absolutely and uh like i had to, my dissertation was a quantitative one so i had to quantitatively do this and right now i think we've run a little over seven thousand people through it um, and the good news is, um, I didn't know whether I was going to get a chance to talk about this or not. I did create a URL for the users that if you want to take the assessment as, as a gift, um, I'm going to give you a URL uh, where you okay. can take it at, at the end um, of, this, yeah. of, the, of this call. And then they, and you can take it yourself and anyone listening can take it just as my, as my gift for, for no cost. All right. Well, so why don't you go ahead and give that, and we'll put that in the in the show notes for folks. Sure. It's uh, it's you go to uh, we use Bitly, so we use the it's a um, uh, URL shortener. Uh, if you go to magnaleader uh, dot co co not com forward slash gift all in capital letters G I F T uh, that will take you right to to the assessment. Uh, that's, so that, that's, that's, that's my, that's my gift to you. Um, thank you. That's, that's awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah. So let, so let me address the last question you had about, uh, kind of the understanding of how to use the test question is, um, we all have a different balance 
Um, I've even done tests with individuals uh, that I did with my staff because I developed it while I was still at, at Intel uh, to, to test for this. And one of the things is that typically 99.5% of the people all have some need for each of the three tasks. There's very few people, every once in a while, you'll get a, an outlier that will only have a desire or have a, um, a need for two of the task types. We've never seen any individual that's had only one of the task types. Um, but typically, people need a, a different percentage. And on the average, it's probably people need about, um, see if I can pull the percentages out of the air. Um, I think it was somewhere around uh, about uh, 18 to 20% people need, on average, this is of about 7,000 people uh, for the graph, about uh, 18 to 20% people need routine work. Um, I think it's around 25 to 27 uh, people need um, uh, troubleshooting work. Um, and then the balance, which is project work, uh, is uh, around, I think, 40 to 45 percent, some, something like that. So people generally need more project work, bigger picture kind, kind of thing. And, and the reason they need that is, is you get a different level of feedback and satisfaction from each. You know, routine work is just kind of turn the crank. Uh, read and delete the emails, those kind of things. You get you get lots of you get a high frequency of good feedback, low intensity. It's, it's not overly satisfying. As you move into troubleshooting or problem solving, the frequency comparatively drops off. Right, you go go fix that uh, particular problem you're having with your computer or, or the refrigerator in the in the in the nursing home uh, or the project that you're working on where you can't get things to kind of sync up. Uh, you get a different level, kind of a medium level of, of feedback and a medium level of intensity, right? And then project work, you know, a good example is like when you finish your taxes, right? You've worked on this for a long period of time uh, uh, and happens once a year uh, that you get uh, a very, very uh, uh, high intensity of feedback, right? High, high satisfaction. And the frequency compared to troubleshooting and, and, and routine is, is much, much lower. And, and each one of us needs that different frequency and intensity, which the, the task question assessment will identify for you, needs that, that different frequency and intensity uh, to, to be happy, uh, happy, engaged, motivated, and, and so forth. Um, uh, the other thing that happens is, is that you'll find that you have a cadence that happens. Uh, and in the cadence, that during the day, uh, if you start paying attention, you're going to start wanting to go do different things. You're working on something and all of a sudden you want to get up and go get uh, a drink in the refrigerator or walk around or you want to pick up the phone or you want to check your email or go on Facebook or whatever it is, right? Those are triggers for you that, that are saying, whatever I am doing now, I need to do a different task type. And the tendency for us, because people don't understand their particular needs of task types, what they do is they do a different task. And a lot of times they go from routine to routine to routine, right? Mm. And at the end of the day, they've done all routine work. They've gotten a very high frequency of feedback of accomplishment. And, but the, the intensity is so low at the end of the day, they just don't feel fulfilled. And, and what happens is, is if you don't, first of all, you need to kind of track when the little red flags go off and then you need to do time blocking on your, on your, on your calendar. If you have that, uh, flexibility. So, so rather than doing like all project on Friday or 
I'm going to sit down. I remember in college, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to lock myself in the dorm uh, room. I'm going to write yep. that, right? And then eight hours. And, and that never works. And the reason is, is because it's only, it's only a single task type that you're doing, right? And, you're, and your brain needs that other frequency and intensity. So what I do is my routine work is uh, I can handle where my red flags go up. I can handle typically about 45 minutes of routine work. Troubleshooting typically is about an hour to an hour and a half. And the project work, I find, works best in two-hour chunks. So rather than saying, hey, I need to design a new program this week, or uh, I need to, uh, to write, write a, a new description of the courses I'm delivering, or I need to do an analysis of um, you know, someone I'm doing executive coaching for, what I do is, is and I say, hey, this is going to take 10 hours. I don't block off Friday to do that. I do two hours a day. Uh, and each of the five days, right? And at the end of the day, I've gotten the frequency, I've gotten the intensity I want, I feel that level of accomplishment. And guess what? When you block times out, instead of trying to do it at the last minute, uh, you get a much better product. So, so understand your test quotient balance, uh, track your frequency, and then start doing the time blocking and ask yourself, Am I getting any of this different things, uh, these different things? Now, one of the challenges is if you're working like in a call center, you may not have uh, mm -hmm. that kind of flexibility. You have to do the same kind of thing um, over and over and over again. Where for jobs that have some flexibility, maybe you don't need to do all of the level one calls, you know, on Mondays and all the level two calls on Tuesday, maybe you need to to do a little bit of a, a balance because the level one calls may be something that you just instantly know there's really there's really no um uh there's not a lot of um problem solving and so forth because it's kind of built in there uh and then the, the next level calls are uh more troubleshooting and then the third ones really take you have to pull lots of things together and as a project uh, are really a, a different type if you have that ability to structure your job just a little bit, or even do some some task sharing with one of your coworkers. Um, you, we're, I, I'm going to guarantee you're going to be happier. And and my message to managers is is if you can do this and you can keep the people happy, motivated, engaged, and in kind of that flow zone, then you don't have. Then when bonus time comes, you don't have to pay them that much more because they're going to really evaluate whether they want to leave this highly engaged environment uh, to move to something for another yes. dollar an hour. And, but, but as, as you were talking, it kept occurring to me that, first of all, this is workload balancing for your brain, right? So yes. for those of us in Ooh, Lean like who I'm are very that. interested in workload balancing, this is workload balancing for your brain, right? And it's going to actually, it always creates additional capacity when you do that. But then if you are a manager, what's stopping you from doing that analysis, particularly in a highly structured environment, what's stopping you from doing that analysis of the different types of work and actually getting into really balancing the workload for the for your employees? So, um, and, and it's probably some technical skill, but you can learn that technical skill. So going back to the technical skills. Yeah. yeah. So, so, wow. so, so what we, what we've done is we have a, we usually do, um, I don't know if call it a workshop or whatever, where we get everyone to take the test quotient, 
to plot their different tasks that they do on a big flip chart. Um, I, I go in and facilitate that, or one of our staff does. Uh, and with the manager in the room, once everyone has all their tasks that they do plotted, uh, and by the way, the, the tool that we use, which is connected with flow, the concept of flow and the task force and the two, we work the two together. Um, everybody plots where they're, uh, where all, what, all the work they're doing, what hours, what task types they are, uh, and where it is and whether it's in the zone or not. And then once everything is plotted, and, and typically we do this live, you have the flip charts all around the room, uh, every, each person is allowed to do we call it a task auction can sell uh -huh. anything anything that they do right there's no buying that happens and you capture everything everybody gets five minutes to say here's I, i'm working on this project it's about two hours it's a troubleshooting project and that's not one that's highly motivating engaged i want to sell um that and that's two hours or maybe it's a six hour activity and they only want to sell two hours of that where they can work with someone else and then you capture everything on an Excel sheet. And then once everybody's done with the manager in the room, anyone can bid on any task. Oh, that's but, so great. <laughs> yeah. And, and what happens is uh, typically you'll get a rebalance. Normally you get 60 to 70% rebalance, right? And now because people are now working on things that are engaging for them, uh, getting the buy-in is super easy because they've made, made the choice. Now, Here's the thing that we found over and over and over again is at the end of the session, there's always a bucket of stuff that people don't want to do, right? You can imagine that. And 100% of the time, it is administrative. Mm. And what, what we recognize is you have you know $120,000 engineers that are making arrangements or setting up meetings or making travel arrangements or, or you know, copying things or having low-level conversations. What, what's happening is, is, is because we've gotten leaner and leaner and leaner and leaner and there's less people, you have- Leaner, leaner in the bad way, not the- yeah, not Leaner the... in the bad way, right, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with, with, low, with, um, with, with kind of less, less staff, that a lot of the things- the more routine administrative kind of things have kind of kind of crept into that in that area. And what we usually find out, uh, particularly in organizations that, you know, anywhere between 10 to 20 people or so, uh, that they really need some level either of automation or some level of administrative assistance. And instead of hiring another person at 120,000 and give them a little piece of the routine stuff, you know, they'll hire somebody as a temp or, or whatever that's, you know, at, at 40000 or $30,000. Um, uh, it's cheaper. It gives them the kind of things that they want. That they it, like to do. Yeah. Right, and it offloads all the crap work from, from the, the highly paid people. And it's not crap work to someone who's an administrative assistant. It's something, something they enjoy doing and they like, they like seeing how it helps other people. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so Kevin, let me let me ask you one last question here. Sure. Um, and that is, um, that is, what is your one piece of advice for a young person studying out? Well, I think uh, I would ask people to uh, use my experience, maybe as an archetype or as a role model, as a model, maybe not a role model, is is to go find someone uh, to mentor you, to coach you, uh, to to be a sounding board for you. Um, and you would be surprised 
uh, and find someone that's doing the kind of things where that you kind of aspire to, to do. Um, when I chose my mentor, Cecilia, she had, I wanted somebody because ultimately I knew I was going to be working with executives. I wanted someone that had daily activities with the C-suite. Um, and she was HR for HR for, you know, 80,000 person organization. Um, and I, and I said, I, I need that insight. Uh, will you help me? Right. Um, so, uh, so go find a mentor and then start to identify the types of things that you really love to do. Um, like I, I had done where I love to teach and then figure out how you can expand that. Uh, you don't necessarily have to change your job. And one of the things that I started doing is I, I expanded it by I started teaching university classes in the evenings just because I, I love to do that. And then ultimately when I retired, um, because I had that experience at Intel, it allowed me to uh, get hired. You know, I was a professor at, a at Arizona State, Grand Canyon, uh, Drexel University, several other universities as well. So, so, so get the mentor, focus on what you, uh, what you love to do, and then start expanding that, whether it's in your job or outside of your job, to give you more of what, what you love to do. Thanks. And Kevin, what your website? Uh, so, uh, so there's two websites you can go to. The, uh, the main website uh, for uh, Magna Leadership is magnaleadership.com, uh, or there's a secondary website that you can go to if you're interested in uh, concepts of positive intelligence, you know, kind of understanding yourself, kind of know thyself. Uh, if you go to pqtrainingandcoaching.com, uh, you can find some stuff there as well. Thank you so much. Thanks for traveling with me to the Edges of Lean. Thanks, Bella. I hope uh, it's valuable to your, your listen, listeners. This is Bella Engelbach, and I'd like to thank Dr. Kevin Gazzara for being my guest on The Edges of Lean. Are you balancing your mental tasks? Would you like to learn more? We would love to hear from you. Find Kevin at magnaleadership.com or on LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn or at leanforhumans.com or comment wherever you watch or listen. Subscribe and tell a friend about the edges of lean. Please join me in exploring more of the edges of lean. There's a lot to learn. And check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com. You'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelberg with support from Podcast Inc. This is a Lean for Humans production.